0: Welcome back party people to the place everybody wants to be you know it you love it it of course is victory lane episode 111 today we have NASCAR's Alex Weaver on the show with us to chat about her entire career spanning Clemson and now on to NASCAR great to catch up with her been friends for a couple years and I got to learn a lot about her and her career I think you guys will enjoy that chat. We're going to talk for a little bit about Kyle Larson again, because he wins again. But before that, we're paying homage to one of the most historic numbers in all of NASCAR. Papa Siegel has more in this week's Wayback segment.
1: Thank you, dude, and welcome everyone to episode 111. As I continue to look back on numbers we didn't have a chance to review the first time around, today gives us the chance to revisit one of the most storied numbers in NASCAR history. Car number 11 ranks second in all-time starts behind only the 43. However, while the 43 can only be associated with one man, King Richard, you'd have a tough time choosing who to highlight among the Giants who've wheeled the 11. Junior Johnson, Jeff Bodine, Bill Elliott, Terry Labonte, Daryl Waltrip, Cale Yarbrough, Ned Jarrett, or perhaps its current occupant, Denny Hamlin. If it were up to me, I'd have a hard time choosing between Junior, Cale, or Gentleman Ned. Lucky for us, Mama Siegel has a favorite driver among that list, so this week, we'll be looking back on...
2: Terry Labadi,
1: Texas Terry! The elder of the Racing Labonte brothers from Corpus Christi had a remarkable 890 race cup career spanning 37 years. 92 of those starts and four of his 22 wins came in the 11 during 1987 to 1989 when he drove for legendary driver and car owner Junior Johnson. Labonte was a two-time cup champion and he holds the dubious record of having the longest span between championships, 12 years between his 1984 and 1996 titles. Along with those two titles, he finished in the top 10 in the standings a whopping 17 times. Need more convincing as to why Terry lasted so long in the sport? Out of those 890 starts, he finished in the top five almost 25% of the time and in the top 10 almost 50%. That's crazy good. His success went beyond NASCAR as well. Labonte won the 1993 IROC championship on his own and he shared the 1989 IROC championship with Davey Allison by virtue of driving Allison's car to a sixth place finish in the final race of the series after Davey was killed in his helicopter crash. Labonte also has been a class winner at the 24 Hours of Daytona and the 12 Hours of Sebring. The dude was a flat-out wheel man. Terry Labonte was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1988, and he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2016. You enjoy that one, Mooms? Kachiga! Back to you, Doof.
0: Thank you, Dad. Yeah, number 11. A lot of big-time drivers and a lot of big stats associated with that number. And Denny Hamlin, I got a feeling he's not done yet, so more to come with that. Let's start this episode off, as always, with a good old-fashioned reggaeton. (laughs) Kyle Larson continues his tear, wins that Sonoma Raceway, with ease as i say he has won five stages in a row actually technically seven if you count the actual wins dating back to the coke 600 at charlotte the dude is just on another level his third win of the season second in a row first on a road course in his career at his home track you want to talk about domination that's kyle larson's middle name right now on an awesome race car um, i was a little bit nervous to start the race just you know, having chase Elliott, who's probably the best road racer right now lined up next to me. Um, but when I was able to kind of stretch out from him and then kind of slow my, myself down, I was able to learn some things about the track and kind of get into a rhythm. And, um, from then on we were really good. And, uh, even passing cars was, um, easier than I've ever had here before. So just really shows how good my race car was today. And, um, it worked out great to win both stages and, and the race. So um, just an unbelievable race car, which it has been all year long. Um, we just now finally been able to to get some wins to show for it. Hendrick Motorsports also dominant right now. Chase Elliott comes home second for the second week in a row. And it's HMS's fourth straight 1-2 finish. That's the first time since 1956. And, Dad, I know you're going to like this if you're listening First time since Carl Kiekafer did it. And guess what, Dad? I got that name right on the first try. Carl Kiekafer. That's pretty impressive, though, isn't it? Hendrick Motorsports, otherworldly good right now. And they don't show any signs of slowing down at the moment. Tying up a couple loose ends from the weekend that was in NASCAR. Guess who won the ARCA race at Mid-Ohio? Ty Gibbs, not surprising, obviously, and he came close to winning the Xfinity race the next day, but alas, that went to AJ Allmendinger, had a penalty, rebounded, carved his way back through the field, sliced, diced, passed Austin Sindrick and Ty Gibbs late in the going, got her done for Collig Racing at Matt Collig's home track with Matt Collig in attendance and a lot of Collig Company's guests there. It was a big, big day, and Justin Haley finished second, so a one-two finish for them in their backyard. This is his his Super Bowl, and you know every win's important. Slide in here, Matt. There we go. Every win's important, but we know how important this this racetrack and and uh, the community in in Northeast Ohio is. All the charity work that he does, all of the companies that he works with. We had, you know, with Ramco specialties on the car. Uh, you know, we had three companies from Ohio, Northeast Ohio that were on the car uh, of our of all three of our cars. So, I mean, it's a, it's a special place to Matt. And because of that, it, I put a little bit more pressure on myself to go out there and try to win the race. Interview time. I mentioned it off the top. She's been a good friend of mine for a couple years and I'm glad that she was able to carve out some of her time when she is not being a mother to her beautiful cute little kitty working on her stuff at nascar.com being a clemson tiger fanatic keeping up her instagram which she is very good at she's insta famous people uh fulfilling her cameo requests i mean she does it all and let's hear how she got to where she is and how she does all she does it's alex weaver of nascar.com Pleasure to be joined by a friend this week on the pod. She is a tiger fanatic. She is a cat mama. She (laughs) is low-key Insta-famous. It's Alex Weaver of NASCAR.com, everybody, welcoming her onto the show. And I actually want to start with something because in preparation for the show, Alex, I realized that your name is not Alex. It's Jordan. So my life is a lie.
2: Yeah, no, I get this a lot. My mom had to make it super complicated, so my full name is Jordan Alexis Weaver. I go by Alex, so I technically go by a nickname of the middle name. It's not even technically my name at all, so, you know, just craziness.
0: And I also realized and found out that you don't really go by Alex to your friends and the people that know you well. People call you Weave, so I need to start calling
2: you Weave. Yeah, for sure. You're definitely in the friend group that gets to call me Weave. Um Alex normally is when I'm in trouble. So if you're mm. frustrated at me or if I've done something wrong, you can call me Alex, but Weave yeah. is typically the the go-to.
0: See, that's like me when people call me Davey, notably my girlfriend or my parents, I'm like, "Oh god, what did I do?" Yeah, something's you know wrong. I mean? <laughs> yeah, something's wrong. So people usually call me Dove. I don't know oh, what
2: else. Oh, okay. They call me. I didn't know about this one.
0: Yeah, well, it's more so like a like a home friend thing. Like I can't really like like m- most people in NASCAR just call me Davey just because that's how yeah. they know me. But yeah. if you've known me since I was I don't know five years old, you tend to have other nicknames. So you are now officially Weave to me. All right, you got that. Love it. Got that under control. Perfect. So we got that out of the way. Um, I want to get into your whole career because it's an interesting story to me. You've been around sports pretty much your entire life. You've participated in them for. A really, really long time. So before we get into your time at Clemson and now where you are at NASCAR, working in sports for you, Weave, that was never really a doubt, was it?
2: Um, it was for a little bit. I had okay. a really great science teacher in high school who made me love the medical industry, the human body, anatomy. I mm. loved everything about science. So my first thought was I'm going to go the safe route and a career that I know will always be needed. I'm going to go into the medical field. Um, I took all of the science classes that I possibly could in high school. I got to college. I took a couple science classes in college and was like, no, this is not it. (laughs) Um, so luckily Clemson football, uh, not that it was ever a backup. I was blessed to call out a job for four years of school, but Clemson football was where my passion was. And I thought, you know what, there may possibly be a career here. So I'm going to, I'm going to tap out of science.
0: I could not see you as a scientist. I got to say. Yeah,
2: I can't now that I think about it, but there was definitely, there was definitely a period in my life and I'm still kind of an undercover science nerd, but, uh, there was a period in my life where I was a science nerd for sure, but sports, I'm glad, I'm glad I went that route.
0: Science and math was not for me. I don't math know is
2: you. not for me ever. So,
0: okay, good. Well, I mean, actually topical because it's the all-star race this week. We're going to have to use math.
2: I know. A lot of math for all those six rounds, apparently.
0: I know. Yeah. People are like, oh, I hate the format, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I mean, you can do whatever you want with the format. Just don't let me do a lot of math because I'm just going to mess it up for everybody else.
2: Yeah, they were telling me how the inversions would work. We did the preview show this past week, and it was myself and Jonathan Merriman. And he's like, you know, you can tee up the inversions in the format. And I'm like, nope, you got it. (laughs) You can do it.
0: Yeah, let him him handle the big stuff because we're not good at math. Okay, so... Maybe science, and then you went down the sports route, so let's jump around a little bit. You hung out at Clemson there, and you did a lot of work with the football team. You you interned at ESPN at some point, and Raycom as well worked there. We'll get to all that, but people know you if they're listening to this show because of your work at NASCAR Digital, NASCAR.com. You're the face. You are the face of NASCAR.com, so tell the people how you got involved with the sport specifically because... If I have it right, you didn't really seek out working in NASCAR. It kind of sought you out.
2: Yeah, no, I grew up right outside of Charlotte my whole entire life. So NASCAR is always a way of life. You know about NASCAR. I knew that, you know, it was the headquarters were here in Daytona Beach. And Mm -hmm. my grandfather was a diehard. I mean, didn't miss a race, knew where everybody stood when it came to championship. He was a huge Bill Elliott fan. So like only drove Fords. We ate at McDonald's for meals because <laughs> that was, you know, Bill Elliott's sponsor. But yep. um, I, I knew of it. I knew enough to where I could watch it with him and talk, but I was the football girl and it was just kind of what I knew. Football and baseball were my two sports loves growing up. And that's what I watched the most. It's what I covered in college. Um, and then I was actually working for Raycom at the time and um, NASCAR reached out and they were like, Hey, we have this position. Would you be interested? And I remember like, be honest, I was like, I was, I thought about it and was like, I don't think they even want me because I don't know anything other than like Bill Elliott, Dale Jr. and Jimmy Johnson. Like, that's all I got. I was like, I know nothing about this sport. Um, Did a couple interviews, ended up really loving the environment and loving the opportunity. I kind of saw it as a challenge to learn something new that I wasn't familiar with and a new sport for me, which was fun. Um, so here I am four seasons later, did not, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, if I would be working in NASCAR, the answer would have been a heck no, but man, I'm pretty blessed to call this a job now.
0: Time flies when you're having fun. So four years ago when you got hired, what was your official title or role and how has that changed into what you do now?
2: It's changed a lot. Um, my very first role at NASCAR was working with partnership marketing So I was working with all the sponsors, um, they're now premier partners is what we call them now, but, you know, back then it was just official partners and working Mm -hmm. with, um, you know, Monster and Coca-Cola and, uh, Goodyear and Geico and Sunoco and all of the, I, I literally was in the boardrooms and in the meetings working with these partners and these sponsors. And I personally wouldn't trade my journey to get here any differently because there is a lot of different worlds in NASCAR, but the one that I got to be lucky enough to experience firsthand was the partnership side of things. It allowed me to learn the drivers really well. It allowed me to learn you know, what issues, uh, what brands, what sponsorship deals they have, which in turn allowed me to learn the personalities of the drivers a lot easier too, because when you're working in marketing and you're selling these brands and selling these drivers, you have to know their personality. You have to know how good they are, their stats what they're like in a race car, what they're like outside of a race car, their family life. So I basically was, uh, when I came into the sport, I was basically a partnership stalker is what I like to say, that I knew everything about these drivers, everything about the brands. Then that transitioned a little bit to, I was 100% that when I first started. Um, And then I kind of was about 75, 25. So it was about 75 partnership stuff still in marketing. Um, And then it was 25 of Reporter on camera ish. Um, when we need somebody, we have Alex. You know, if she's at track, we can use Alex. That type of that type of thing. Um, then it became fifty percent social and working with partners on NASCAR social media, and then fifty percent reporter. And now I am hundred uh, percent host and reporter. So it has been it's been a long journey. It feels like four years, but it doesn't yeah. feel like four years. Um, so it's been different.
0: All right, lots to unpack there cuz I okay. didn't know that that's where you started. So you started in the role that you took and I guess applied to that had nothing to do with being on-air talent, reporter, nothing like that.
2: There was a possibility that you will have opportunities, but it was kind of okay. like you have to create those for yourself if you want them.
0: Because on-air reporting is not sitting in a boardroom with sponsors and pitching and talking finances. Like that's no, not the it, glitz and the glamour, you know. It is
2: definitely not. Yeah.
0: So you started out there, then you started getting an inkling of some on-camera stuff, dabbling in that. When did you realize that, A, that was going to be an avenue that you were going to be able to explore more? Because obviously, I think that that's kind of the road you wanted to go down. And then I guess, B, when did they, being NASCAR, realize that they found a gem in you and being an on-camera star that you are now? Like, when did that confluence of things happen?
2: Yeah, well, first, thank you for that. That was very kind. Um, You got it. So, I, my, at Clemson, my, I had some, some really incredible people that served as mentors for me and just basically threw me in front of the camera. They were like, hey, you know how to talk football. You can do it. Let's put a mic in her face and let's have her talk. I was, Extremely blessed with opportunities there at a time where Clemson football—it's not the powerhouse that it is now—but it was right. definitely climbing to that level. Because this um, was
0: pre-Dabo, right?
2: Yes. No, yeah. this was still Dabo. So Dabo's always been my boss. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah. So he—I came in at the Dabo era. It was like when we were going to like Music City Bowls, and we were winning ACC championships. But that was about you know the the highest struggle yeah. of our season. Yeah um so I knew that on camera was a passion of mine I knew that it was something that I could see um it being a future that I wanted to pursue obviously if anybody knows anything about that world it is highly competitive it is just a whole different uh, side of sports that I think a lot of people don't really see the the back side of things and how hard it is just to have those opportunities and get into it um so I knew that it was an, a possibility at NASCAR, so I just really started kind of bugging the heck out of people. <laughs> and That's what you got to do. Yeah, just saying that, you know, can I do this? What can I do? Uh, there happened to be some pretty good opportunities with working with the partners because they knew me and I had a relationship with you know, kind of the liaisons between the brands and NASCAR, they were like, oh, they want to sponsor the show. So let's just have Alex do it. And I'm like, oh man, this is great working with the partnership side of things. And it was, you know, presented by insert brand name here. So that was kind of my foot in the door to be on camera at NASCAR. And then just from working with partners and going on, you know, different sponsor events or going to races and working for them, it was, an opportunity for me to interview the drivers and get more familiar with the drivers right. and network on that side of things um so it really just kind of evolved and i don't know if there was a set time that nascar was like yeah this you know this girl will be on camera for us but it, i just felt like there was more opportunities that kept presenting themselves and i yeah. just Said yes to all of them, uh, and eventually I think they were like, "Man, give her something so she'll shut up." So here we are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that advice uh, in like my own career. <laughs> yeah, I'll do just that.
2: Keep, keep annoying everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. I- I'm pretty good at it. I've been told. So I'll um, <laughs> good, I'll keep I'm it sure. up. So but. I imagine you know going from the the football centric world that you were in then to NASCAR, one that you're somewhat familiar with. But I'll you know I'll have you tell a story later about you know learning the lingo that I heard on another podcast that you did. Mm-hmm you must have been thrown into the deep end in these boardrooms talking with these sponsors and realizing how vital and important these partnerships are. I mean, at this point, you're still relatively new to the company, new to the sport, still learning, absorbing like a sponge every single day. What are your initial thoughts at this point about the sport at large in general? Are you thinking like, okay, this isn't what you know the media always portrays or oh, wow, I didn't realize how important this partnership was to the actual sanctioning body because there's a lot of different things going on from that perspective that you were able to see that not a lot of people do.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely opened my eyes to, you know, we hear the jokes and you hear that all the drivers will thank all their sponsorships and Victory Lane and, you know, we're the walking bill or the driving billboards and mm-hmm. it's just a lot more than that um, and I don't think people realize how expensive it is to just for a weekend to run a race car you know, 200 laps around a racetrack. How much money and funding that requires. Um, so I, I definitely found a passion with the marketing and the sponsorship side side of things that I don't know if I would have seen otherwise, just from knowing the sport and talking to drivers in that aspect of things. But it, it definitely, you know, it's about you. Be kind to your sponsors. You pump up your sponsors. There are drivers who are genuinely thankful for their sponsors because that is the reason that they get to race. Without a sponsor, they don't get to have a race car. Um, so I, I got to see that firsthand and it was a really cool experience of learning how we deal with partners and how much control partners have and then how much control the sanctioning body has and the league will have and then the teams. It's just a very different dynamic than most people get to see from the outside looking in. Um, So a lot of people, when they say, you know, I only drink this certain soda because my driver runs this soda, or I only wear these certain types of clothing because that's my driver and that's what he rocks. Like it's a, it's a real thing. Like there is loyalty in a partnership with a driver, with a team, with a fan base, like a a running car billboard is not far off. uh, But I don't think people realize how quite important it is to our sport.
0: Yeah, no, it's a lifestyle. I mean, I remember growing up, and uh, I made my dad only go to Shell gas stations because that was Kevin Harvick's sponsor. God forbid you go to an Exxon or a BP, like, not going to happen. Had to get Jimmy John's, had to drink Budweiser slash, but like, it's a thing. Tony Stewart fans, they would not be caught dead at a Lowe's, not in a my, million years. My
2: mom, her first car was a Honda, and my grandfather was like, what the heck are you mm-hmm, doing not driving not a happy. Ford? Like, what is going on? <laughs>
0: Oh, I love it. But it's cool that you got to see that kind of aspect of things because, you know, from my perspective, right, I've been in the sport for, I don't know, I guess what, 15, almost 20 years at this point as a fan starting out, right? So I'm in the minutia. I've always been in there. That's all I really know. Seeing it from the outside, you know, looking in and then learning that way. That's pretty cool. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. We've talked about Clemson a couple times. They do not have a broadcast or journalism program at the school, which I thought was interesting. I just assumed that they did. So you were a comm major at school. How did you get interested in journalism specifically and getting on camera from that? Because comm is very, very broad. And the fact that they didn't have a, a focus or a target that left open a lot of different areas for you to explore.
2: Yeah. So if I could give one advice to Clemson, it would be like, you have a lot of students, especially now that are getting interested in that maybe just think about a journalism or broadcasting program. But anyways, that's a a story for a different day. Um, No, there actually is a sports communications major now at Clemson. that was not around when I was in school. So the only option you had for anything communications related is communication studies. Um, And it was, you could specialize in a certain area of communications which you had like an emphasis in your degree in Um, my emphasis was sports broadcasting Um, so you can pick those or classes that kind of lean towards that Uh, but you're basically just taking general communications classes and you sprinkle in other things but my original thought process was because the communication school at clemson is one of the most competitive because like you said it's so broad everybody wants some some type of job in a communications aspect of things, especially when that's your only choice. Um, But it's pretty difficult to get into. So the advice that I had been given was try and get into that program just in case, you know, the science route isn't for you. Um, You have communications and you can go some other avenues from that. And if you do want to end up in sports, that's a good way to do it. So got into the communication studies program, um, realized that science was not where it was at for me <laughs> and I was working as a recruiting assistant at Clemson already. So working with all the football recruits and the coaches, um, then probably my junior year is where I started getting some internships that were more focused on the production side of things, the broadcasting side of things. So like the ESPN, um, NFL network, ACC digital network at the time, um, And I was like, you know what? This is kind of fun. I know it's super competitive. I think everybody in my family thought, yeah, girl, you're never going to have a job. Good luck. (laughs) But I decided to go down that route anyways uh, and made broadcasting my focus. And then the older that I got in school, there was just some more opportunities. YouTube and Twitter and Instagram were like blowing up. It was like the first, literally the first years of social media. So there were just a lot of really great people who allowed me to have some pretty cool opportunities for a football team that was rising, uh, rapidly in the ranks. So I chose, chose it. And here we are, luckily.
0: (laughs) So, you know, I mentioned, and you just did too, you know, you worked with Raycom interned with ESPN. I imagine at this point, you're learning to understand the business that is journalism and television specifically a lot, lot more, you know, kind of tying it back into that partnership role that you had with NASCAR. It's a lot of things that people don't understand. They see a premier partner and they see a sponsor on a race car and they say, Oh, that's cool. They just, you know, paid the, the team to sponsor the car. Like doesn't work like that. No. You turn on the TV for a football game, you say, oh, that's cool. Sideline reporter talked to the coach for the game. Wow. That's great access. Not no. that easy. No, so at this point, what are you learning in terms of the stuff that, you know, you don't know what you don't know and how are yeah. you kind of making that fold into you and branding yourself as what you want to get to eventually, which is an on-air broadcaster.
2: Yeah, my I remember the very first thing that I did on camera was signing day for Clemson football, it was 2017 or 2018 and they were just having me basically walk around it was the west end zone at the time of clemson and they were having me walk around and talk to some of our current players about the new recruiting class coming in and i was like oh okay that's easy no brainer and they were like we need you here and call time they were like your call time and i'm like what the heck does that mean i don't know what a call time is <laughs> uh they're like your call time and signing day starts at you know 6 a.m they're like your call time is going to be about 4 30 and i'm like what am I going to be doing for two hours? Right. And you just don't realize that when you walk in there, there's a ton of setup, there's mic checks, there's graphic packages that you have to go through, there's rundowns. So through those internships and then working with and football, it allowed me to see that the pretty and the cool graphics that everybody sees that comes on screen in the middle of a football game or in the middle of a race There's somebody actually doing those. They don't just appear. It's not just TV magic. There is a whole control room and all of these people behind the scenes that are making all of this happen. So that was the first learning experience of like, wow, this is 40 people work on one show. Like, this is insane to me that... Uh, it makes this many, you know, has this many things that require it to look good on TV. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes as fans, and I'm guilty of it too, you just watch it and you're like, Oh, they misspelled something or, Oh, they didn't roll that graphic in on time. Or that's the wrong driver's name. I've done but,
0: it. We were talking before, me too. like I do graphics for NBC and I misspell stuff sometimes. Yeah, and then sometimes and it's probably the same for you. Can you watch a, a broadcast or any sports program at all the same now? Because I can't, no. Yeah. No. it's you all, just, it's awful.
2: Yeah. And you just look and you're like, Oh, that's a cool transition. Oh, they did a wipe. That was really cool. Like the, yeah. and it's just like, you don't even, I, especially with other sports, I think NASCAR I'm so focused in on the mm-hmm. race that I don't even really pay attention to anything anymore, but other broadcasts, I'm like, Oh, that was really cool how they did that. Mm, I wasn't crazy about that one. Oh, maybe we could try and do that yeah. one too, but it's just all these things that make it so I'm different. So um, yeah. But it, I, I just really didn't realize how many people it took to make, something just looked good uh, and something that so many of us fans from the outside looking in just think that it's, you know, it's just a Saturday afternoon football game and everything flows on camera and all the camera angles are how they're supposed to be. And the biggest thing NASCAR wise is watching the camera guys who follow the race cars around the racetrack. I have so much more respect for those people. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how you are. You're following that race car around that racetrack like you yeah. are and make it look so good on air. Um, So that was a really big learning lesson. And then also the second one is you just have to know your stuff. Um, That one was one that I learned very quickly that like, I think my first time that I got thrown into something, it was like, wow, I did not take enough notes to talk for 20 minutes on this. Or I didn't do my research enough on this player because they're sitting here talking about their mom and where they went to high school. And I don't even know like where they're from. So you have to make sure that you have like, I always tell people you want more notes than less notes. So like Absolutely. take a book of notes. Don't take like a page of notes.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: so a lot of lessons pretty quickly, but I think it's like a sink or swim industry. So you figure it out pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. It's good to over-prepare rather than yes. be under-prepared yes. for sure. Um, and I, you know, I've talked to a couple different people in NASCAR specifically about it that have on air pretty prominent public roles now on television and radio um, and also digital media I think Jamie Little's one that comes to mind because she also kind of was in the trenches and, you know, did a lot of behind-the-scenes things in her younger years in motocross on two wheels, and that shaped her in terms of her being a TV personality because she saw the cameramen and women and how much hard work they did. She saw the producers and the directors and how much hard work they did. She saw all the different levels that go into making a broadcast what it is. You know, we talked about the graphics, like for the Wizards games that I did this past year— Sometimes I'd spend two seconds making a graphic and it'd be just as well received as one that I spent 45 minutes making. So (laughs) there's so many different levels to making a television show go. than just click a button, put the camera on the sideline reporter or the broadcaster, let them talk and go. And you know, you doing all those different things um, probably gives you a, a better appreciation for the people behind the scenes, the directors, producers, TDs, all that kind of stuff. But it also probably makes you a better on-air broadcaster because you understand what it takes now. So instead of just, you know, flipping out and saying, well, why can't we do this right now? Like, this needs to happen. You understand there's a process now. You know what I mean? Because nothing is worse than that one person that thinks they know it all and they don't know half of it.
2: And Jamie is, I mean, she's the role model, I think, for all of us girls in any, any sports industry whatsoever. but. It, it definitely gives you a sense of appreciation for it because we actually have, and Jamie more so with them and Caitlin Vincy and Shannon, I'm just naming off Fox females mm-hmm. right now, but you know, they have the dream job. You look at them and you're like, wow, you get to travel around the country, watch races for a living, talk about racing for a living, talk to a lot of people's heroes and idols and these drivers, but they don't realize that they actually have, you know, it's a it's definitely a hard job, but there is 20 other people who are working just as hard, if not hard, harder behind mm-hmm. the scenes to make sure that those those ladies and those those men that work at Fox look good. Um, so it's definitely it was definitely a, a good thing for me to see that uh, there's a lot more people than just what you see on camera.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Very well said. So in those years, you're working under Dabo. Um, I believe you, you had a relationship with Samantha Ponder when you were interning at ESPN, anybody else that you leaned on for advice or was kind of a mentor to you in those years as you were kind of honing your craft?
2: Yeah. Samantha was a big one for me. Um, I just got lucky that game day was coming, uh, to Clemson pretty frequently. So I got to see her. She was obviously the reporter at the time when I was in school. So I had, you know, every single time that she was in town, I would be like, I'm so sorry. While you sit here and get your makeup done, I'm picking your brain. And I just want to ask you 25,000 things. Um, so I had her, I had, um, Rick Bagby, who, uh, he used to run the video department for Clemson athletics was a huge sounding board for me. Um, he was the one that actually gave me my first opportunity and was like, you're just go out there and just talk. And I'm, I I remember being done and being like, Rick, that was, that's not just talking. That's (laughs) (laughs) difficult. Um, so he was a really good mentor for me. Um, and then I'm trying to think of, On air. I had a conversation, I'll never forget this, with Marty Smith uh, when he came for some of the Clemson features and when game day was in town. And I sat on an ESPN bus with him. And he was, you know, I knew all about his background in NASCAR. I didn't at the time know that I wanted to be in NASCAR, but it was a Southern guy from Virginia. And I was like, You have an accent. I clearly have an accent what do I need to do to get rid of this? And I just remember him sitting there telling me like, you don't have to get rid of it. You just need to make sure that, you know, you use it um, to your advantage and you can kind of have this different feel and that's what kind of makes you stand out. So there was a lot of people that I think I came in contact with, but uh, I think the probably the one that I annoyed the most was definitely Samantha Ponder, just because she was an idol for me. I thought, you know, you are the end all be all. Uh, you're so great. The fans loved her, still love her. Um, and. That was a, a big, a big get for me to just pick her brain for 20 minutes. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you know, this industry and the the NASCAR industry too, I mean, it's pretty cutthroat. So uh, the yep. fact that, you know, people like you and myself too, I've had similar experiences being able to be around people that are genuinely nice and want to help you. I don't want to say it's few and far between, but sometimes it feels like you're on an island. So to find those people, it's, it's really nice and rewarding. So I'm glad that you had those people in your corner, you know, you mentioned talking to Marty and saying, how do I get rid of this accent? You know, you use it to your advantage, right? Were you dead set on staying in college football or football in general, or were you open to maybe pursuing other sports if opportunities arose? Cause clearly now you're a NASCAR, but at that yeah. point, I didn't know, like where was your mindset at, you know?
2: Yeah. I think it's when you're in it, you kind of think that that's the only world that exists. And it was just kind of what, and I did, I did play by play and some other sideline reporting for other sports. I did volleyball and baseball, and I worked some of the basketball games at Clemson, soccer games. So I was, I was involved in other sports, but the biggest avenue and platform at Clemson was obviously the football team. Um, So it was kind of where the most opportunities presented themselves. And I was already working for the football team. So I I already kind of had a a way into the building already that maybe some other folks didn't have and some inside sources and Inside information. So I kind of already knew enough to talk about it. And I don't think it was until I got out of football that I realized, like, wow, there's a whole other sports world that you can kind of go in that it's not just about Southern college football. Um, So it it probably took NASCAR for me to realize that, you know, it's not just football out there. But the goal, yes, when I was 18 and 19 years old, you know, it was college football dead set. I had the blinders on. This is all I want to cover. I'm a Clemson diehard um, you know it's football for me but i am definitely i've definitely uh karma caught up to me and was like no girl you think you're gonna be in football but here you are in nascar so loving <laughs> every second on there it, but it's definitely different
0: yeah and i love how you indoctrinated yourself into the lingo specifically of nascar because it's for different. again you know like it, people are listening to this they've probably watched the sport their whole lives and they're like yeah tight loose scuffs fresh mm-hmm. t- whatever stickers like they know this stuff it's like the back of their hand but For somebody like you who doesn't know what they don't know, it's got to be, A, intimidating, B, confusing, C, frustrating. Like, what does that mean? Like, that that's what makes sense. So how did you get indoctrinated into the sport and the lingo specifically? Because if you don't know, there's a lot of lingo in the sport that doesn't really make sense to outsiders.
2: Yeah, I tell this story pretty often. I'm sure this is the one you were talking about. But my third week at NASCAR, I was starting to get involved in a little more meetings. I had been kind of doing, you know, the onboarding, human resources, paperwork, watch these safety videos. That was my first week or two on the job. And so then the third week I was kind of involved more in some of the meetings and just shadowing some people. And I remember my very first meeting, I walked in huge boardroom, NASCAR memorabilia all over the walls, uh, I sit down and they're talking about partnerships and getting with this driver. And I just remember there was one sentence and it was, I don't even remember who said it now, but it was, well, would we rather have an SHR driver do this or a JGR driver? And I'm like, don't know. I don't know what either of those things are. I have, <laughs> I have no idea. And so I'm sitting in my head like S could be safety. S could be Steve. S could be, and I'm like trying to run through what the acronym of this is. And if, if fans are listening, like there's so many acronyms in the sport, every team has an acronym and there is like, everything is abbreviated. So when you're new and you have no idea, and I can't be like, Hey, vice president of strategy. Like, can you tell me what SHR is? Cause I don't know. So you just sit there and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, so being the girl that you knew, knew first downs and first base and touchdowns. And it was like, I don't I don't know what tight means. I don't know what loose means when people say this. When they're talking about air pressure, air pressure for what? Inside the car? The t- like, what is happening again? At you all? don't know
0: what you don't know.
2: I mean, it was so many words that I just remember sitting and being like, Yep, don't know what that is. It didn't it didn't kind of get easier for me until I started going to the racetrack. Um, and for those folks that don't know, there's so many kind people in NASCAR that it really just takes asking them like, Hey, can you explain to me what it means when the drivers say that they're tight? Like, what does that mean? Um, so I asked a lot of questions. I got really lucky with having, uh, Tori Fox who we started at NASCAR. He's working for NASCAR social. Yeah, uh, we yeah. started at the same time. He was a diehard fan his whole entire life. So there were a lot of times where we would be on the road together and I'd be like, <clears throat> Ex- explain that to me. Cause I don't know what that means. Uh, and he would kind of whisper, you know, the, the beans in my ear. Um, so I just got really lucky that I had some kind people who would explain things to me, but it was probably a solid six months before I felt like I had any grasp on the sport whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Tori's a legend. So I'm not surprised that he helped you with that. I love Tori. Um, when did you go to your first, was your first race when you were working for the company or did you go to one before?
2: so i went to charlotte races just because being from around this area it. and it was like the thing to do back when it was the Lowe's and i mean like younger, Lowe's motor
0: speed yeah, yeah.
2: young um so it was that was just fun you i didn't really like nobody sometimes when you're young and you're 10 and 12 years old you don't go to watch the race it's just loud and fun and your family and friends are there so yep. I would go out for some of those events. It was Memorial Day weekend, always here in Charlotte, still is, but it was just a fun holiday outing in the area. Um, so I'd been to them before, just a couple. And then my very first one that I watched from beginning to end, um, that I was super involved in and kind of followed and took notes was the very first race that I worked and it was the Bristol night race back in 2017. I believe, um, it it was a really good first race.
0: Yeah, I got
2: really lucky with getting to go to uh, Bristol and the night race on top of that. So I just remember like leaving Bristol and being like, Oh, this job is going to be awesome. This is so cool. And I saw a fight and there, I mean, it was incredible. So.
0: So that's the first time that you were kind of like in a garage, being able to be elbows up into the garage with the cars, with the crew, all that stuff, have the unprecedented access that we hear about and stuff. So at that point, you know, you've had really good access before with Clemson, like a top tier program in the SEC like big-time athletics, right? How to you did the access that you had in NASCAR compare to the ones that you had before at Clemson?
2: Yeah, so I got pretty lucky just working with Clemson football. I got access to the athletes and the – and the, I almost said drivers – the athletes and uh, <laughs> the, the players, you know, every day. I got to see mm-hmm. them at practice. I got to see them in the weight room. Um, but that wasn't normal, especially from a fan point of view. The closest you would get to those guys is – front row of a, of a stand yeah. to you know down to the field so i just remember um, the first one that i worked for nascar i remember walking around and being like there's so many people here like who are all these people and they're like oh those are fans and i'm like that are like touching jimmy johnson like they're literally like right they're up-
0: allowed to do that
2: <laughs> yeah they're right up next to him how is that even allowed um I think that the access that NASCAR fans get and even us that work in the industry is unparalleled. It's just yeah. very different. Um, I don't think NASCAR fans sometimes realize that not every other sport, like, and I'm just using Jimmy as an example. You you can't go up and ask for Tom Brady's autograph right next to Tom Brady. Like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, We're
0: spoiled. You,
2: yeah. Oh, for sure. But you can with Jimmy Johnson, you can walk right up and, you know, right up next to his car, see the car, I don't recommend touching the car um, but yeah it's it's definitely different and I think it's a really cool experience for fans at a racetrack
0: were you able to relate a little bit to uh the team aspect of NASCAR coming from football and you know people may look at NASCAR again from the outside and say oh it's just a driver going around in circles which we know is not the case but you know there's a pit crew there's guys back at the shop there's a crew chief there's all these different parts and pieces that are moving, were you able to relate to that in any specific way and kind of draw some parallels?
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think that was kind of the thing that I found common ground in the quickest. And a lot of, if fans don't know, a lot of those crew guys came from college football teams or were professional athletes or... So I would always, it was kind of the similarity with me and able to talk to crew guys. Cause it was like, Oh, you played football for insert name here. Oh, what position were you offensive lineman? Or, Oh, I was, you know, so it, it, it allowed me to see that it's like you said, not just drivers going around and around in a circle. And it's much more of a team sport than people realize. Like if you don't have a good pit crew, if you don't have good guys on the pit box, That driver, you can't, I always say, and I hear drivers say this too, you can't drive a slow car fast, no matter how good of a driver that you are. Mm -hmm. So it's much more on like what the team can put together and how perfect and everything can come together as well to win a race. As we all know, it's really hard to win a race, especially in the NASCAR cup series. So I liked the team aspect of it. It's probably still to this day, one of my favorite parts of the sport.
0: Yeah. Underappreciated aspect, undercovered aspect for sure. Those
2: are some heck of athletes on pit road. I could not imagine.
0: Oh yeah. They're warriors. Put their, put their lives on the line. Literally. It's not normal to be out in the open with an 80 (laughs) mile an hour, 3,500 pound car barreling down at you and hoping the brakes work. It's not normal.
2: It's still, even to this day, I, I will have family members, you know, in parking lots and around streets and whatever. I get pretty close to like, street cars and normal people driving. And they're like, Alex get, and I'm like, Oh, I'm just so used to like Kevin Harvick. Me too. It. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like think that about
0: anymore. that. I didn't yeah. think about that, but I am too. Cause when I was doing my K and N stuff, like there's no rules out there. So it's like the garage is just wide open. Like, like Haley Deegan and Derek Krause, they always give me a bunch of crap. So like, we'll be in tight quarters in San Bernardino, California at quarter mile orange show and I'm, like, on the ground trying to get, like, a, a snippet for social. And Haley and Derek will literally, like, they will literally, like, swerve and be, like, inches away from just killing me, like, yeah, literally. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just different. So now when I, like, jaywalk or something, which don't jaywalk kids, but when I jaywalk, it's just like, that's eh, it's fine. I'll be yeah, okay. Yeah, it's
2: just another day, another day on the job, right?
0: I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple female reporters that are in the industry now that have been doing it for a really, really long time, and a lot of them – have been mentors to you. I mean, just if anybody follows you on Instagram, you and Caitlin Vinci are BFF goals, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You work with Kim Kuhn at NASCAR. You do backseat drivers with Jamie Little every now and then. There's a lot of different, uh, really prominent, amazing female broadcasters that are in the sport. But being a female in a male-dominated industry, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, uh, it's obviously not easy, but you're pretty well adjusted to it at this point. Did you have any hurdles to overcome in terms of gaining that respect from people that, you know, they see a new face and they say, Oh, I don't know who she is. Does she know what she's talking about? I'm sure. I know you have one story about PJ one, which was hilarious. Um, (laughs) but did you have any other hurdles like that, that you had to overcome or maybe lean on people to say, why, why is this the case?
2: Yeah, uh the PJ one you're referring to. I got asked if I knew what PJ one was. I did thanks to Google. But yeah, uh that was (laughs) I now know what it feels like, what it looks like all about PJ one because my research after that question You're Um, an expert. It definitely has been um and I, I think it's different in the sense of with other sports male or female, you can go out in the backyard and you can throw around a football. You can go out in the backyard and you can throw around a baseball. You can swim. You can play volleyball. It's pretty difficult to get experience going 200 miles an hour in a race car. It just is. It's not going to happen. And very expensive, yes. (laughs) Um, So I think there's already, for those of us that cover the sport that weren't drivers in the sport or don't have that experience, I think there's already a level of like, you don't know this because you've never been in the car um, type mm-hmm. of thing, but even more so for females. Um, and I definitely have had to pick and choose my battles. Uh, and I've, I've had, like you said, some phenomenal females who I've been able to kind of play off of and bounce off their brain and just say, Hey, is it like this for all of us? And what's, you know, how do I handle the situation? But I think the best thing that I have found that works the best is no, you may not have the experience but you can do your research and you can do your homework and there are other stories that you can tell about these drivers, about the pit crew athletes, about the team owners, about others working in the sport that don't necessarily have to be the nuts and bolts of NASCAR. I love to learn about the nuts and bolts. I will constantly be studying and learning about the nuts and bolts of NASCAR, but there's just other ways that you can do it that it doesn't necessarily require experience. Um, so that has been something that I've had to learn that I'm, I'm not going to know who won Richmond in 1974. It's just not like I can't, I can't pick these off my brain yet. Um, there are a lot of folks at NASCAR that I'm sure could, and I apologize to all (laughs) Richmond fans, but I do not know who won there. Um, but no, it's, it was more so about just making sure that for every assignment that I had or for everything that I had to do, I needed to be prepared so if it were knowing the driver's mom's names knowing what their favorite hobby was outside of a racetrack listening was a huge key moment for me that a lot of the times you can learn about people just from listening uh networking was huge talking to crew chiefs saying hey explain this to me what's wrong with your car what happened in practice um, it's just that experience level that I think too, that you you gain a little bit more respect when you're around a little bit longer. So the more that you're in the sport and the more that you familiarize yourself with the sport, I have found that the respect level has, it's earned. And I feel like that's anywhere mm-hmm. with sports. You have to earn that respect level. You're not going to come fresh out of the gate and be like, yep, tell her everything. She knows everything. Um, but it's been different. It's definitely yeah. a male dominated world for sure. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there's not, 10 females that walk around the garage and we all look at each other and like, Hey, what's up?" Like you can spot a female sometimes from a mile away because it's just all males in the garage, Uh, but it definitely has helped having a, a friend base of some pretty powerful and pretty strong females in the sport that we're not alone. So we're all here together. That's helped.
0: Yeah. And like you mentioned too, I mean, there are way more good apples out in the garage and in the sport than there are bad. It's just that there always tend to be those few bad instances that stick out. And it's just like, that's just unnecessary. Yeah, You know what I mean? There's
2: bad apples everywhere. So I would, if, if we had all good apples, I think something would be wrong.
0: (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I asked that question to a lot of the different females that I have on the show, because I mean, as, as cliche as it is, and kind of as dumb as a question as it is, like, I don't know what it's like to be a female in this industry. I mean, same thing with, you know, what was happening last year at Atlanta throughout the summer, you know, I had Brandon Thompson on, I don't know what it's like to be black and work in NASCAR. I don't yeah. pretend to know. Um, but I was really we interested, know. like we will yes. never know that feeling, right. Yeah. But like, I, I wanted to know his perspective because like, I have black friends that literally did not watch the sport because they did not feel welcome. And I was like, well, how could you feel that way? And then I looked at it and I say, okay, I guess that makes sense. And now they're watching because of all the different steps that NASCAR has taken and stuff like that. So sometimes I feel like weird asking questions like that because it's like very simple, but I just genuinely wanted to know. So I appreciate you sharing all that.
2: Well, and I, I think the best thing for those that, you know, I, just like you said, I will never know what it's like to be black and work in NASCAR. I think it takes listening, communicating you're not ever going to know their point of view, but you can hear their point of view and you can, you know, you can be a person who helps, you can be a person that helps females. You can be yeah. a person that advocates for females. You can be a person that helps, you know, black people in, in NASCAR and that helps them. So it's just very, um, I feel like the communication level needs to be open for everybody and make sure that everybody feels like NASCAR is a safe place.
0: Well, like Bubba Wallace had on his car, compassion, love, and understanding. That's what we do.
2: Let's hope <laughs> so. I hope so. And more people need to read that car. I think.
0: I know, yeah. I need to get my I need to get a diecast, put it up in the in the apartment. All right, uh, let's get to some fun stuff. Okay. So you do backseat drivers every week for NASCAR.com, among a lot of other things. You do some one-on-one interviews. Uh, let's stick on that for a minute. Last year, you, you had a one-on-one with Jimmy Johnson as he was ending his career. On I mean, obviously the goat, <laughs> obviously, but it was so cool that you got to do that. And even recently, you did a one-on-one on Zoom with Daniel Ricciardo leading into Coda. Yeah. I mean. That's big time stuff, JJ and Daniel Ricciardo. Like, good for you because that's big time.
2: Yeah. So I had a feeling when I came into the sport that I was going to like Jimmy. I had just heard great stories. He obviously was a seven time champion, and like, it's
0: hard to dislike.
2: Who doesn't want to root for the dude that wins all the time and is such a nice guy that you hear? But when you meet Jimmy and he remembers you by name, and he is so friendly and asks you personal questions, and he treats a person that holds the door open the exact same way as somebody that he's known for 30 years is just insane to me that you are that good on the track. And you are also like the best human being off of it. Mm -hmm. So I remember getting the call telling me that I was going to do his retirement interview and his announcement and nerves like didn't eat all day. Nerves were shot. I was like, this is one of my top athletes of all time. Like he is the goat in NASCAR for me. Um, and I was like, I'm about to go announce that this man is retiring. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I remember, I have no idea what I said. I watch it back sometimes. And I'm like, I thank goodness I made it through that because I'm pretty sure I just blacked out for all of it. (laughs) Um, And then I got in the car after the ceremony was over. And after the media availability was over, I called my mom and it was like instant crying. Like, Oh my God, I just covered Jimmy Johnson. That was so awesome. It's just that release of like emotions that is so incredible. So, that is probably the highlight of my career for sure was that day with Jimmy. Um, We walked home with little mini bottles of Patron that Jimmy handed out to the media, Mm -hmm. which is like true Jimmy Johnson fashion. So, (laughs) it was awesome. Uh, And then, yeah, this year I did an interview with Daniel Ricardo and Talked about Coda. Um, I follow F1 enough. Um, I did not get super into F1 until I think the rest of America did with the F- with the Netflix series. Yep. Um, got super into it. Became a Daniel Ricciardo fan. Just loved his personality and what he brought to the sport. Yeah. It just worked out that we were able to make uh, schedules meet up. And he was incredible. So if you watch F1, if you don't have an F1 driver that you're pulling for, I, I highly rem- recommend Danny Rick because he was he was an awesome, awesome person.
0: Yeah, he is the man. I mean, yeah. he's probably the Clint Boyer of Formula 1 with for uh, sure. a little less southern and a little more Aussie, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, he he is sure. he is a hoot. I feel like you have a very either a very good or a very bad Australian accent. I don't know.
2: Um, it's pretty bad. So, I will say the one so we got on to the Zoom call and the very first words out of his mouth were, you know, like, "Hello Alex." And I was like, "Oh, this is different. Like these accents are like so <laughs> weird." Um, and there were a couple words that he I remember he asked me uh, about what our term would be square dancing uh, and he was talking about a fun line dancing square dancing bar and he was like what's that word and I was like oh square dancing And he's like yep no it was a shape so like the two accents of <laughs> ours were just like I don't know what this interview is yeah. going to sound like between your Australian accent and my southern accent but it worked out well it was fun
0: well, he loves Southern culture. Like I think one yes. of the first years they went to Austin, like he had a helmet and like a cowboy get up. I think like he had a longhorn stuff. So he loved, and he's like a big Dale Earnhardt fan too.
2: Yeah. And he, it was, it was funny on the call too. He was asking me about races that he had watched. He was like, how did Bristol dirt go? And what were you guys doing when you, and I was like, whoa, you watch our sport. This is he really knows. Cool. Yeah. He, I mean, he was truly a fan and had kept up with what the drivers were doing. And I mean, he talked about Jimmy retiring and asked if that was different. And it was really cool to see somebody who, you know, he's at the top of his game too. And yes. he's racing for one of, you know, one of the premier teams in in F1. And at the time when we were doing the interview, he was in London, but they were leaving that night to go to Portugal. So it was like, wow, you're in London, England, and you are flying to Portugal and you're talking about Bristol dirt a couple weeks ago. Nuts. It was so awesome. So it was cool. Nuts.
0: I would love to see McLaren start a NASCAR team just so I could see Danny Rick like immerse mm-hmm. himself in the American culture. He would love it. He could probably run last every week, and he would love it.
2: I asked him if he uh, was going to come and get in a stock car. He told me that he might do like a Martinsville or something just for okay. practice, uh, but I told him, I was like, hey, I'm sure there are a lot of people. We'll find you some funding. If you want to come, <laughs> come on over. Yeah. Well, he I mean- big fan.
0: Well, it's like Zach Brown at McLaren. He's all about these bets, right? He's going to give, I think, Danny a ride in um, one of Dale Earnhardt's old cars. And he's having Pato award an IndyCar test the F1 car. So the, his next bet needs to be something about like hooking him up with one of his American team owners and getting him in Martinsville. I think it's going to happen.
2: Hey, I hope so. I um, I will definitely uh, re-promote that interview and be like, "This was when it started." <laughs> yes, I will. I on. will also
0: re-promote that because that's where it started. You're right. All right, uh, backseat drivers every week on NASCAR.com. Are you a backseat driver though? Because that's just the burning question. Clearly, yes,
2: I am. Um, I am typically the driver just because mm-hmm. I am. I like to think of myself as like a cool type A. Okay. Like I can somewhat go with the flow, but I am kind of going to control the flow. (laughs) You'd rather
0: have the control than not.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So like if my life is in somebody else's hands, I'd rather it be in my own hands than Mm -hmm. somebody else's. So yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So you are a backseat driver and that is why you host backseat drivers every week. It makes sense now. Thank you for clearing that up. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. Probably
2: not a good trait for me to have, but yeah, I do. At least I'm honest.
0: Yeah, it's a great show, though. You got people from all over NASCAR, drivers, crew chiefs, media. Uh, You had our boy Bob on the other day, Mm -hmm. other week. It was great. Um, That's one of many different shows that you have done and do at NASCAR. I I think you had the infield maybe a couple years ago with Samantha Bush. Um, And again, you you have one-on-one interviews every now and then. You guys do some breaking news videos every now and then, too. Uh, What else do you do at NASCAR in terms of the digital media side that I'm forgetting that people may see you doing?
2: Yeah, uh, you basically hit on everything. It's just really backseat and uh, the preview show, which is every single week. Um, So we'll just touch on the next week. So those are our weekly shows that I do. And then, like you said, there's just the interviews with drivers. um, And then we do breaking news. Silly season was... Oh my gosh 2020 silly season was like a never-ending breaking news going to uh, be the girl.
0: same this year girl get ready
2: i know i'm already preparing my my off season to not be an off season um yep. but yeah no it was so that's that's basically everything that we do uh we'll kind of touch on some youtube strategy and just com and what works best for mm-hmm. video types and for our fans watching to make sure that they get the best content too because at the end of the day like the sport is about the fans and what we bring to the fans so we want to make sure that they're enjoying the experience on com and on our youtube channel and that they're liking our videos so i'll work with that a little bit but show wise you hit on everything you did really good
0: cool uh i want to go back to the interview stuff for a second is there anybody else besides ricardo and jimmy that you've interviewed that you kind of had to pinch yourself you're like wow this is really cool um those are probably your top two.
2: Yeah. inside. If we're talking inside of racing, those are for sure my top two. Um, outside of racing, probably the coolest interview that I ever did and really the only athlete I've ever – and I don't really know why. Uh, the only athlete I ever got starstruck by was Tiger Woods. Um, and I was doing that with my internship, and I was working the Wells Fargo tournament here in Charlotte, and I just remember him, like, walking towards us and it being like, Oh my gosh, that's Tiger Woods. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's Tiger Woods. <laughs> so it was kind of like the first time ever that my heart kind of like skipped a beat a little bit. Uh, and it yeah. was just because, you know, he's Tiger Woods in golf. It's Tiger
0: freaking Woods, yeah.
2: thing what he brings to golf. So I've never done an interview with Tom Brady that's on my list. I would love to just like be in the presence of Tom Brady. Um, great athletes, I think, or they just bring a different, a different side to sports. And yeah. I think when you can win and be a decent person and bring – the level that they have to the sport or to their fan base is, is pretty insane. So maybe I'll be starstruck with Tom Brady here. I don't know. We'll get him to a race or something. We'll <laughs> we'll see.
0: Yeah. I think uh, I'm actually starstruck by your kitty Bennett. I'm surprised uh, he has not he made did. an appearance on this, uh, on this video yet. Is he no. nearby? Let's say hello.
2: Um, Bennett, he was up here eating. We'll see if we can get nah. him up there. All
0: right. Well, uh, I'm obsessed with him. He's adorable. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like instead of you being on cameo for twelve dollars, by the way, if you want a cameo from Weave, twelve dollars only. I feel like your kitty should be on there because I would pay that money in a heartbeat.
2: Yeah, I um, I have some fans who will message me on Instagram and they're like, "Wait, where's Bennett today?" And I'm like, "You know what? I'll 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 step back. You guys, if you just want (laughs) to talk to Bennett, by all means, have Bennett. Uh, but yeah, he's been he was a quarantine cat. Uh, I got him in the middle of quarantine, so it he is definitely um, separation anxiety is pretty strong. He like comes with me when I go to the bathroom. He comes with me when I'm in the kitchen. Like we don't, we don't separate. So I'm, I'm a crazy cat lady, but I'm, I'm embracing it. So he's a good one.
0: Good. I think we also are friends mostly because of our Chick-fil-A obsession. Um, What's your order? I don't, I can't believe I don't know this.
2: So it's changed a little bit. I'm going to call myself out a little bit. I think people, if you follow me on social media, then you may know, but I, during quarantine, I gave up dairy um, a little while ago. My body just didn't agree with it. Um, So then I, during quarantine, was like, let's try no meat. We'll just have fun with it. I was cooking more at home because obviously no restaurants were open. Uh So my previous order used to be a number one extra pickles, large fry, large sweet tea, three Chick-fil-A sauces, two ranch, and a chocolate chip cookie. So now it is a Southwest salad, just the base of the salad with no cheese, Um, A large fry, a large sweet tea, and a chocolate chip cookie.
0: I respect the hell out of you for that. I could never, never.
2: all about about (laughs) melons.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've done Whole30 a couple times with my girlfriend, which is, you obviously know what that is. Like, no dairy, no nothing. And, I mean, like, it works.
2: Isn't that, like, no sugar, no carbs?
0: Yeah, it's no dairy, no sugar, no, like, added sugar, Um, no bread, no legumes,
1: uh, I'm that. probably
0: forgetting some stuff every now and then. Basically, you can have like Lettuce. protein, fruit, vegetables, almond milk, and yeah. like that's it. It works, but then I always break it with Chick-fil-A and I just gain it right back.
2: The if I ever decide to go back I I have started eating seafood again. I'm uh-huh. I'm a diehard sushi fan. That's my favorite food, so I knew I couldn't give up sushi for long term. But if I ever do go back to eating chicken, the very first piece of chicken I will have will be Chick-fil-A and I'm excited for it.
0: Yes. Okay. I'm glad we have that bond still going. I'll, how about that? I'll have your chicken intake for me. I'll just double it because I want that.
2: Great.
0: Good. Okay. Um, I mentioned at the start that you're low key Insta famous. I mean, 27,000 followers are almost what you're at. Don't shake your head. That's nothing to snuff at. Like, and I want to be serious for a sec because like it takes a lot to build a brand like that. And I've, I've, like, done a ton of work to try to build my social media. My Twitter is, like, almost at 5,000 followers. Whoop-de-doo. So is my TikTok. Whoop-de-doo. Like, 27,000 followers, like, good for you because that's not easy. It's really
2: not. Thanks. I have to pinch myself a lot because I personally just think I'm very boring, Um, but (laughs) I I get really lucky. I say it all the time that NASCAR fans, they're the most loyal and the best fans in the world, but they really are. Um, So I've been super blessed by the NASCAR fans that they've welcomed me into the NASCAR world and I feel like I'm definitely a part of the family. So I'm really sorry for all the cat content on Instagram. I was going to
0: say, I don't think they come for you. I think they come for the yeah, Chick-fil-A no. and for your cat. It
2: definitely. If you if you ever want to see anything about Chick-fil-A, any music, or anything about a cat, a Siamese mm-hmm. cat, uh, my Instagram is the spot to be.
0: I mean, that's why I follow you. No, <laughs> given yeah, away and
2: that's here, fair. Clearly. That's probably why most people. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Last thing here. I thank you for your time. It's been awesome to catch yeah. up with you and learn a little bit more about your career. What, what do you still want to accomplish? Do you have any long-term goals in terms of things you want to do in the sport, outside of the sport, the field, the industry itself, roles, anything? You could take that wherever you want, but I assume that there's still some things you want to accomplish.
2: Yeah, I definitely want to be a long-standing member of this sport. Um I I said it at the beginning, if you had asked me five or six or seven years ago, I would have been like, no, I would never be in NASCAR. Now it's really hard for me to imagine my life outside of the sport. Um, So I definitely want to stay here for as long as people will let me stay here and just continuing to cover the sport. We did. William Byron was our first in-person interview back. Yeah, yeah. COVID, which is, it was like a whole new world of like, wow, you're not in a mask. You're not over Zoom. I haven't seen you in a year and a half. So I would love to do, yeah, exactly. Like you're like reaching out. Are you real? Um, I would love to do more of the stories of our athletes and pit crew members and crew chiefs. Um, so any type of storytelling is where I kind of hope that my career goes, um, just because I have so much respect for, the people in the industry and those that are in the sport that actually make the sport go round no pun intended. Um, Mm. But yeah, so that's where I see it going. I don't know what that looks like. I love my job right now. I'm definitely super blessed to be able to do this. So as long as NASCAR will have me, I'll be here.
0: You guys know where to find her. She's Insta famous. So is her cat and her Chick-fil-A order with no dairy or meat, which is shocking. And I'm jealous that you can actually do that for a prolonged period of time. Uh, she's at nascar.com. She's doing anything and everything over there. It is Weave, not Alex. I thank you for joining from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. It's been great.
2: Thank you, yes, It was good to see you.
0: And we're back. want to give a big thank you to Weave, not Alex, but Weave for carving out an hour of her time. I really do appreciate it. It was great to learn and, and great to just see the perspective of somebody who was not in the minutia of the sport And then quickly got associated with it because it's a lot of stuff to learn in a short amount of time. And Weave has done a great, great job assimilating herself into the NASCAR world. So on behalf of all the NASCAR fans out there, Weave, we are glad you are here with us. And we hope to see you, as you said, for years to come. And I I hope to see you soon in person so we can catch up even more. Let's preview quickly the All-Star Race this weekend at Texas. I don't even want to try and understand the format. (laughs) I'm not going to even give it a shot. What has happened to the All-Star Race? It used to be so good. It used to be not manufactured. It used to be built up, but it didn't feel fake. It used to be at Charlotte, and, and it had good racing, and there was before stages were a thing, so there were actual stages in the race, and now it's just lacking something. I don't know what it is, and I've tried to figure that out, and I wrote about it this week in NASCAR Mailbox for Front Stretch, but I just don't know. So why don't you tell me, tweet me at Davy Center. What is the all-star race missing? What happened to it? Do you still think that it deserves a place on the schedule? Answer all those questions for me. Just give me your unfiltered, unadulterated thoughts at Davy Center on Twitter. Before we throw the plug nuts of the week, actually, we could just cue the funky music now, white boy. Uh, just want to say sorry. This episode's coming out a day or two late this week. Life gets in the way sometimes with work and traveling. Was in Miami this past weekend visiting some family, holding down the fort for Nicky Bobby. Nick Sanchez, last week's guest, who turned 20 this week, actually. So happy belated birthday to you, Nick, for listening, which you're not. Uh, basically, life got in the way, and nobody really got back to me in terms of getting a guest on, but Alex did, and I'm very appreciative of her for doing that. So that's why it's a little bit late. We'll hopefully be back on schedule next week. And let's get to the news and notes, lug nuts of the week. Tootsies is partnering with House for Nashville next weekend. NASCAR issued a rules bulletin for super speedways moving forward this season. They include tapered spacer holes reduced, wicker removed from the spoiler, a rear wheel well bar is mandatory. God, that's hard to say. And also, two flashing brake lights are now also mandatory at road courses. The Xfinity Series had that bulletin announced, and the Cup Series now has it as well. Dixie Vodka has been named the official Vodka Shocker of Nashville Super Speedway for next weekend. Las Vegas Motor Speedway will have zero capacity limits for their playoff race weekend later this year. John Hunter Nemechek is going to join JGR for three races in the Xfinity Series at Bristol, Texas, and Phoenix, James Small was fined $10,000 for one loose lug nut post-Sonoma. Eclipse Claims is sponsoring Tanner Berryhill at Texas for Our Motorsports. Dollar Shave Club is doing the same for Justin Allgaier with Junior Motorsports. And Swan Security and Best Buy are returning to Ryan Vargas and JD Motorsports, all for this weekend at Texas. Will Rogers is joining Sam Hunt Racing for a limited schedule beginning at Nashville next weekend. I had Will and Sam on the Front Stretch podcast this week and an exclusive interview ran on FrontStretch.com as well, so be sure to check that out. Mid-States distributing Dukes and Boone brand. Jeez, what is that? Sponsoring Kyle Weatherman this weekend. Vogler Manufacturing doing the same with Bailey Curry and Mike Harmon Racing. Straight Line is jumping on board with Jeremy Clements this weekend. And Apex Wireless is sponsoring Jesse Little with JD Motorsports. Brennan Poole is joining On Point Motorsports for his return after breaking his wrist at Texas. Jack Wood is going to finish out the year in the 24 truck for GMS Racing. Bird Dog Traffic Control is sponsoring Jennifer Jo Cobb. Mountain Fork Brewery is joining Tyler Hill with Hill Motorsports. And America's Auto Auction is doing the same with Chris Wright. And Bucks for the Brave was back with Spencer Boyd. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I put all those sponsor announcements in there because I want to give equal treatment to Cup, Xfinity, and Truck. But some of those make me laugh, and I have no idea what any of those <laughs> brands are. But every now and then, you got to get a little laughing in your life. So I hope that you maybe got to chuck a lot of that stuff as well. And that'll wrap things up for this week's episode of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, I know it sounds trivial, and I tell you every week, Please, please, please leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast on whichever podcast player of choice is yours. Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Usually wherever you get your pods, Victory Lane should be available there for your consumption. We will have another guest from the world of NASCAR on next week, hopefully a little bit earlier in the week. We will recap the all-star race. Kyle Larson will probably win that too. Preview Nashville. Kyle Larson will probably win that too and do anything and everything in between. Until then, go get vaccinated, get outside, smell the fresh air, stay safe, and I'll catch you on the flip side.